This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, May 25th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Shares of the chipmaker NVIDIA rise thanks to its advancements tied to artificial intelligence. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, revised numbers on the gross domestic product are out today, along with the report on pending home sales. Let's see what they signal with Bob Brusca, chief economist, fact and opinion economics based in New York. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Let's talk about that uh, new look at the first quarter GDP, which was uh, a little rosier than uh, initial estimates, but it does show signs the economy is, at the very least, uh, slowing down compared to last year. Oh, yeah, there's a slowdown here. Um, Now, that's pretty clear. Remember, last year, we started the year with two quarters that had uh, GDP declining. So that followed up with two pretty strong quarters. The GDP grew at a 3.2% annual rate in Q3 and 2.6% in Q4. So now we've slowed to half that pace at 1.3%. You know, the month, the quarter to quarter change, uh, this is two tenths of a percentage point on an annualized growth rate. Really not much to talk about. A little bit here, a little bit there. Um, Your GDP is slowing down. That's the big picture story, I think. And uh, basically, if, if, if you're the Federal Reserve, uh, the interest rate hikes and the monetary tightening over the past uh, 14 months or so are, are, are doing what they're supposed to do. Oh, uh, yeah, that. And, you know, and also, you know, these past numbers are really pumped up by uh, previous stimulus and monetary policy and fiscal stimulus and spending. And so just just taking that away is going to cause growth to slow. And then in addition, rates are higher. But. Remember, interest rates are still below the inflation rate. So the Fed really hasn't got its foot on the brake. As much as it's raised rates, the inflation rate is still higher than the interest rate. And so we would not really call this a restrictive interest rate environment yet. And then looking at the uh, beleaguered housing market, which uh, is holding steady compared to April, the amount of uh, pending home sales. Yeah, the home market is kind of difficult to talk about. Um, You know, mortgage rates are a lot higher, and so there's a lot less demand. And, uh, of course, the economy has slowed. And what's happened is that people that own homes are more reluctant to sell them because if you own a home, you probably have a low interest rate. And you realize, well, gee, if I sell my home for some fancy price, I'm going to be buying another house at an equally fancy price and paying a higher interest rate. So I think it's really tended to cool down the, the supply of homes because sellers don't really want to sell because they've got this great mortgage rate that they're not going to get anyplace else. So that's really something coming up the housing market right now. And then the job market continues to be the pillar of the economy. Uh, Jobless claims uh, this week ticked up by 4,000 to 229,000, but the claims from the last two weeks were revised downward uh, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. The story on the jobless claims number is the revision, really, not the change. Uh, 
So the claims are a lot lower again, uh, more around 225 rather than around the 250 level that they were. And um, and the job market still seems to be very strong. Uh, you know, like I say, the Fed has raised interest rates, but hasn't really succeeded in slowing the economy that much because it still doesn't have interest rates above the rate of inflation. You're driving the car in neutral. You haven't got your foot on the brake yet. Bob Bresca, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, artificial intelligence propels a tech company toward a $1 trillion market value. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Shares at artificial intelligence chipmaker NVIDIA are soaring today. Let's find out why and where the company may be heading with Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Mike Thanks for joining us today. And the the NVIDIA story, they reported after the bell yesterday, and it caught, based on the analysis I could see, it caught everybody by surprise. Well, good afternoon, Rob, and thanks again for having me on. Anytime you have a, a big cap stock like NVIDIA up 25%, actually it's 26.5% right now on earnings, that is a huge surprise. You just basically never see that kind of a move in a big, big cap stock. So what what happened was basically the CEO came out and said next quarter uh, sales are are expected to be eleven billion dollars versus seven point two expected, but the big you know the big statement he made was it's due to the demand for the graphics processors that power AI applications. So things that are used at Google and Microsoft and, and OpenAI, which makes Chat GPT, stocks like that. And, and whenever you, the market hears AI, it, is, it, it's, it's the, it basically just moves the stock one way or the other in a big way. And so the fact that this is a, some tangible evidence that AI is how AI will drive corporate revenues going in the future. We finally see some tangible results from NVIDIA. It shows that, that the, the, uh, you know, the expectations of AI may not be overrated, um, and that, that's what we're seeing in NVIDIA's stock today. Well, I think in the case of NVIDIA specifically, it is uniquely positioned at the intersection of two uh, very powerful trends right now, and that is just the need to build chips for anything. And on top of that, uh, they are uniquely positioned to actually deliver something, uh, microprocessors, for companies that want to uh, increase their AI capability. So this is not just uh, give them the old razzle-dazzle on the earnings call. They could actually deliver something for somebody. Yeah, that's why I'm saying this is tangible evidence, as, as opposed to some companies that just come out and just say, hey, we're, we're going to AI, we're doing this, that. But, you know, no, I mean, NVIDIA is the real deal. Um, and you're seeing that the market is starting to favor companies like NVIDIA that produce GPUs and AMD, which is also up 10%, versus companies like Intel that produce CPUs. And without getting into uh, my Illinois Tech uh, background uh, <laughs> education here to describe what the difference is, uh, basically GPUs are better suited for AI. So that's also happening here, too. So there are some losers in this as well, and one of them is Intel. I was going to say, how does this affect the rest of the space? I mean, if this is not just a one-off, if they can uh, uh, produce a similar result in uh, uh, as the year goes on, uh, how does the rest of the chip space respond? And is anyone else positioned to uh, uh, to take advantage of these currents in the same way that uh, Nvidia is? 
Yeah, well, I mentioned AMD. That's that's the next big one, and it's up 10% here again today. So it's up in sympathy. And then, like I said, there's some losers, the ones that are focusing more on the old CPUs that are not really geared to what the companies really need right now, which which is graphics processors that can handle the types of, of applications and, and, and programming that are needed in AI and in computer gaming and things. Those are the hot areas. And so NVIDIA is right there producing exactly what the market wants. So it's GPUs over CPUs. And then in this situation, uh, uh, what's kind of the, the need for AI in, in in the business world, because we're going to have a segment coming up talking about robots and, and there's all sorts of science fiction applications we can think of. But it seems like the vast majority of businesses need AI simply to do things faster. Well, yeah, faster, better, better than humans. And it's kind of scary. Obviously, we're talking about 1984 type apocalypse apocalyptic type stuff we'll see now that was a good van halen album i just want to let you know that 1984 a solid van halen record (laughs) that's exactly what i was talking about um yeah so you know you have um you have every company realizing that they need to have artificial intelligence as part of their business plan because their competitors are going to so if they don't, they're going to get beat. So that's basically what's driving this whole thing. And artificial intelligence is going to be a part of so many businesses that, you know, it, it, it's going to be across the board. So, you know, AI is, is, is the next big thing, and you're seeing it play out right in front of us here with NVIDIA earnings. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, there's a leader in the race to bring humanoid robots to life. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday, and OpenAI has brought its humanoid robot to the real world. Let's get an update from Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thank you for joining us. Joining us today, this is in fact May 25th, the 46th anniversary of the release of Star Wars. So the movie that introduced us to C-3PO and a world of droids. And uh, how close are we with this latest open AI innovation to to, to getting a protocol droid of your own? (laughs) Well, it's very close is the short answer. And open AI funded a company called OneX, which is, uh, uh, they basically have a humanoid robot they're developing called Eve. And the, the question is, how close are we are to, to having what amounts to an incredibly intelligent assistant? The answer is very close. Uh, we're also very close, I would add, to a very freaky uh, future. <laughs> because when you look at Eve, I mean, again, it depends on your taste, I guess, but Eve is, as defined, a humanoid robot, meaning it looks a lot like a human being. It has LED, an LED face, essentially, that uh, you know, mimics human expressions to make the human beings around this uh, Android uh, device more comfortable, ostensibly. But if you look at the shoulders on Eve, Eve has been pumping iron. <laughs> because, <laughs> because Eve is not, in my view, a neutral-looking character if you were to add Eve to your world. The, the thing that's exciting about Eve is Eve, because of the mechanics and because of the AI, is doing very complex human things like opening sliding glass doors, doing all kinds of stuff. So from an assistant standpoint, very exciting. But people are going to have to get used to it for sure. Now, is there are there practical applications for Eve above and beyond uh, serving as a real-life version of the uh, robot that helped out in Rocky Balboa's house in Rocky Four? 
<laughs> yes, it won't spill the coffee. Let's start okay, with that. very good. Um, and 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 may may I add though? I mean, yes, there's right now it's already being deployed in, in test environments. But as as a security guard, uh, as a bartender, um, now these are all it's it's all they're, they're developing tasks that the thing can do. In other words, they're making it happen so that it they can actually test it. However, this is really interesting. I mean, security guard, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen those owls that are sort of bolted to the top of roofs to, to chase away, you know, those steel owls um, to chase away pigeons. But after a while, the pigeons get the idea. You know what I mean? That owl is not moving. And so I think from a security guard standpoint, it's really going to take a while in development for people to really believe that this Android device walking around is actually, or rolling around, I should say, is going to actually be uh, as sentient as we all think it looks. Let's start that way. And then we were talking about possibly uh, robot bartenders, then robot nurses. But these are professions where, as far as a security guard is concerned, you have to have a sense of ethics. Uh, If you are a robot nurse, you have to have a a very uh, human sense of empathy and caring. It's not just performing tasks. And even if you're a bartender, you need to know how to make a mean martini. Well, that's right. And what if the, what if the person at the bar says, "Hey, listen, I you know I want uh, I want that to be extra dry." I mean, obviously, with AI fueled robotics, it probably knows the answer. But to your point, it's not just about the service that's provided. It is about what is the expected feeling of that service. Like at a bar, I kind of like talking. I mean, I don't know. I'm not speaking for everybody, obviously, but I don't mind talking to the bartender. Um, I'm not sure how ready the bartender is to talk to me in general, but <laughs> I would like a human being in that situation. And and they're also talking about you know, at at, um, at 1X about deploying these in hospice care. Now, again, it depends on your taste, your ethics, all you just said. And human beings are monitoring these devices currently. But in the end, in hospice care, which is obviously very important end-of-life care, um, is that something that folks want? And I don't know yet, but I can tell you it looks like a human being. Um, if that human being was really buff and really plastic. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former former tech editor for the Today Show. Thanks for joining us today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Work on the debt ceiling continues in Washington as a default deadline moves closer. Drivers and airline passengers are heading out for an early start on the holiday weekend. In Technology Thursday, a new car allows you to change lanes simply by looking into a side view mirror. And downtown Chicago is losing a major restaurant. We'll update the loop dining scene. WBBM business. The markets are mixed right now. The Dow down 54 points. The Nasdaq up 222. The S&P 500 up 38. We have 59 degrees right now under mostly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, the negotiations roll on in Washington as lawmakers try to hammer out a deal to lift the country's debt ceiling. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy spoke this morning. We continue to talk the whole time. There's work that we're, if we're not together talking, we're working on our different ideas that we talked about, try to work the uh, solutions together. 
McCarthy says he's directing his team to work 24-7 with the White House to solve the potential crisis. AAA forecasts that more than 42 million Americans will travel at least 50 miles this weekend. CBS News correspondent Chris Van Cleve is in Chicago. Vacation inflation is huge this summer. We're seeing high demand in travel, and with that, we're seeing high prices. Sally French tracks vacation inflation for NerdWallet. So people should expect to pay more for their travel than, than they have in even the past couple of years. 35% of travelers told NerdWallet they've opted to drive instead of fly to save money, with gas prices more than a dollar lower on average than last year. Nearly 3.4 million people are expected to fly to their destinations this holiday weekend. That's up 11% from last year. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with MacroTides.com based in San Diego. Jim, thank you for joining us today. And before we talk about what's driving the markets today, this is the 100th day of the trading year. And uh, with that round number... uh, always a good time to do a little uh, backward-looking analysis. And how have the markets performed technically in the first 100 trading days of 2023? That's a great question. First, I want to wish you and all listeners a uh, happy and healthy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, okay, to answer your question, we really have a, uh, a split market. As I think most uh, people following the market already know, you have a small number of stocks, Rob, that carry a big weight in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. Since the big stocks uh, are concentrated in the NASDAQ 100, so what you have is a lot of small cap stocks down, a lot of stocks in the middle, and then a handful of stocks that have done extremely well. And normally that's not a healthy sign for the overall market, but it can persist for an extended period of time. And I think that's really what we've seen in the last two, three weeks. And what are some of the haves and have nots? Well, the mega cap stocks, NVIDIA being a poster child, Apple, Microsoft, and so forth, obviously regional banks uh, are at the other extreme in terms of how they've performed this year. But a lot of economically sensitive sectors, industrials, basic materials, are also not doing really well either, Rob. So really, it's, uh, it's an amazing dispersion between market averages. It's rare to see it this wide. And then uh, there's been a great deal of discussion about artificial intelligence, and obviously that's doing a big part in driving NVIDIA's performance. And it's very, sometimes it can be difficult to uh, separate uh, the real fact and real potential from uh, just the hype and people who are trying to make a little bit of money off of uh, the, the, the thing du jour. But it seems like one of the pieces of analysis I read this morning was that maybe if the first, uh, uh, you know, the, the last decade, Uh, economic growth was driven by low interest rates and that maybe in this upcoming decade that growth is going to be driven entirely by the productivity gains wrought by AI. Well, those productivity gains, Rob, would really be welcome because the two things that drive GDP are entrance into the labor market. And what we know is birth rates have been exceedingly low and that is only adding about 0.3% to GDP. So the difference is going to be made up by productivity increases. So to the extent that AI can be realized and translated into productivity growth, um, that will be a plus for the overall economy and then goose 
uh, GDP growth in the process. And, and does that also address some people's concerns about the economic disruption of artificial intelligence? If it does uh, goose productivity, and uh, I mean, the, the average worker then can realize those gains somewhere, maybe not in the job they have, uh, but in some other sector of the economy. That historically is what has happened, Robin. As we know, uh, aging populations, not just in the United States, but especially in Europe and Japan, they don't have enough workers. So potentially that can be a real panacea in terms of creating economic growth without the, the complete reliance on the number of bodies you have in your economy. There's going to be dislocations. There's going to be a transformation and transition that takes place, and it will be bumpy, obviously, for some categories of workers. So Overall, the promise is great. It won't be a smooth ride getting there. And then very quickly, uh, as the debt ceiling deadline looms, it sounds like there's going to be some kind of deal eventually. I mean, they, they wouldn't be talking about talking 24-7 if they, didn't, if they felt they were far apart. But it does seem like that the, the, the banks and, and other institutions are dusting off these doomsday manuals that they uh, wrote up after 2011 to at least prepare themselves for the possibility of the U.S. missing at least one, uh, uh, one deadline. Yeah, you have to prepare. You know, at this stage of the game, everyone has to become a Boy Scout or Girl Scout and be ready to prepare. I like, as you expressed, Rob, I think the probabilities are they will come to a, a deal. The question is, will they put one foot into the abyss before they get it done or not? But I think the markets are primed in anticipating that there's going to be a deal. And I think there's a little bit more upside that will happen on the announcement of the deal. Once that is behind us, Rob, attention is going to focus to the economy. And again, as I've said in other interviews, second half of this year, I think we're going to see the economy slow more than a lot of people are expecting. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Macro Tides in San Diego. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, an amazing innovation in automotive technology. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. A new feature on the BMW 5 Series sedan seems like something from the future, allowing drivers to change lanes using just their eyes. Let's learn more from John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv, based in Detroit. John, thank you for joining us today. And I guess my first, well, first off, explain how this works, how you can uh, make your, uh, your, your fancy high-dollar BMW change lanes with uh, just your eyes. That's right. What you have to do is look at one of the outside rearview mirrors, and if the car senses that it's safe to do a lane change, it will do so automatically. You don't have to do anything else more than that. But I'll point out, too, that Tesla, General Motors, and Ford have similar systems, not by using your eyes. Tesla just does it automatically if you have uh, the cruise control set, the navigation set. Uh, with GM and Ford, you, the driver, have to uh, tap the turn signal, and then it will do it automatically. But a number of automakers are getting into this technology, Rob. And is this just the natural evolution of the technology uh, where the, the car either has a, a light or a warning tone uh, in, in when, you, when you engage the turn signal, when it senses a car in your blind spot? Yeah, I mean, it will, uh, in the case of the BMW, if you look at the mirror, one of the mirrors, and you want to do a lane change, the car will use its cameras to make sure there's nobody in the lane. It will automatically engage the turn signal and move over into the next lane so that you can get by whoever you want to get by. 
And we, we've been talking about self-driving cars and self-driving trucks for uh, quite some time on the Noon Business Hour. And it always seemed like a technology that was just around the corner, get ready for the self-driving car. But the implementation of the technology has been a lot slower than projected. Uh, you do see some self-driving car tech uh, inside a car that you have to drive. I mean, my my Chrysler Pacifica uh, has a braking warning and can park itself if you allow it to, but you're still in control of the vehicle. But it, it's is it simply just because the technology hasn't come along enough, or is it because uh, the full self-driving tech drivers are still really kind of leery about the idea. Well, the, the industry is going one step at a time. So, you know, you, first there was cruise control, which goes back to the 1960s. And then we got adaptive cruise control where your car will automatically speed up and slow down if you've got the cruise control engaged. Now we're starting to get into more sophisticated ones like uh, what Tesla has General Motors has one called uh, Super Cruise. Uh, Ford's got one called Blue Cruise. and Other automakers have it. So now we're into what they call hands-off driving, where you do not have to touch the steering wheel in certain mapped areas. Uh, the next step, which is right around the corner, is what they call not just hands-off, but eyes-off, where you don't even have to watch the road. And then somewhere down the line, will have full autonomy. Now, there is full autonomy in certain regions of the country, like San Francisco and Phoenix and Austin, but they're geofenced areas, and the cars will automatically operate with no driver on board in those geofenced areas. And I suspect over the coming decades, we'll just see those geofenced areas get bigger and bigger and bigger, until they cover the country. Yeah, I was going to say, John, uh, I was out in San Francisco last week, and you could see uh, quite a few cars with just these rings of cameras attached to the roof. You, that's how you could tell they're the, the self-driving vehicles, and there was this one uh, ride-sharing service uh, going up and down Fisherman's Wharf, uh, just the passenger in the back seat, and that was a sight to see. Yeah, it really is. And, and that you know that's where you, you get to what they call level four autonomy where you can pretty much go anywhere you want to go in that geofenced area. And a number of companies, Waymo, which is part of Google, GM Cruise, which, of course, is part of General Motors. There's one called uh, Zooks uh, that's uh, part of Amazon. They're all testing in San Francisco because it's such a crazy, busy city with all kinds of traffic and pedestrians and food trucks and hills that if you can make it in San Francisco, you can make it work anywhere. John McElroy, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv in Detroit. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come the latest on the downtown Chicago dining scene. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Cooper's Hawk Winery and Restaurants is closing its Esquire location on Chicago's Gold Coast this summer. We welcome in Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter at Crane Chicago Business. Ali, thanks for joining us today. And uh, I attended a couple of movie premieres, grand openings at the Esquire Movie Theater back when it was actually a movie theater. But uh, now there's a grand closing happening today, and it's the uh, the Cooper's Hawk location on the Gold Coast that was kind of its premium location. You're right. Yeah. And they just um, they opened right before the pandemic and they shut down then for two years, just reopened a little over a year ago last March. And they're closing um, July 17th is their last day. 
And this was a uh, 24,000 square foot facility. And uh, this was a restaurant that was aimed as kind of a premium service for Cooper's Hawk Wine Club members. Yeah, you're right. Um, It was the first location in the city of Chicago. And Cooper's Hawk, if you're familiar with them, they have a huge wine club. They have more than 600,000 people that are members, and they like to uh, open these. This Esquire by Cooper's Hawk was supposed to be a big draw for them. You know, they expected people to fly in from all around the company or all around the country to eat there to try their exclusive and luxury wines. And um, the CEO told me that people did do that, but ultimately it just wasn't enough. It to the type of volume they would need to do in a space as huge as that Esquire location is. Um, it was just more than they could handle. And ultimately, it was outside what it would have had to become was outside of their business model. Is this a situation where if, if I ask you what happened and then you say, well, they opened right before the pandemic, is that a say no more situation or was it possible for this to succeed? You know, I don't think it was a foregone conclusion um, that they were going to fail in that location. But I I do know that since the pandemic, things have been really hard for restaurants, you know, especially being closed that long, right, fully for two years. A lot of restaurants did take out to try to stay afloat. You know, Cooper's Hawk, they did not do that. They were closed for fully two years there. And, you know, nowadays, restaurants are already a really low margin industry. The margins shrank even further because of the pandemic and because of inflation over the past couple of years. So it's a really rough situation out there for some restaurants right now. But, um, you know, in the Gold Coast, especially, that's a really high end location with really high rents. And uh, yeah, it just it it didn't cut it there. And that shouldn't change the fact that uh, Cooper's Hawk is one of the area's uh, better success stories, especially in the uh, restaurant business. It opened nearly 20 years ago in 2005, and now it has 57 locations. And it seems like the people who worked at the Esquire Theater location will have their pick of where to go next. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I don't think the demise of Esquire necessarily indicates anything about the broader company, right? As far as I can tell, the company is doing really well. They don't disclose revenue, but we um, track them on our privately held list. And, you know, it seems like they are continuing to grow revenue as well as expand locations. They've also got a Neapolitan pizza concept called Piccolo Buco. They've got one out in Oak Brook, and they're planning to open more of those as well. So it's definitely something that they said this closure would help them focus on expanding their other concepts. Ali Maradi, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. 
Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.